Hello. Hi. Welcome to release. Mini. Mini. We're halfway through the 30s, so we're doubling back on some gangster films because we've talked about them and or like the history of film and how gangster films like, you know, were really important in this time period. But we haven't talked about an American gangster film yet. We've only seen what Ozu thought of yeah. American gangster films. Dragnet so, Girl. We're doing it. Dragnet Girl, if you want to go back and refresh yourself. A stupendous flick. Stupendous. Glamorous. Oh, yeah. Um, I recommend it. I recommend it, too. Silent. Yep. If you don't want a lot of talking in your gangster flick. Oh, yeah. There's so much talking. (laughs) We are talking. We're doing Scarface, Scarface. Scarface, Scarface. So there's a movie called Scarface that came out in 1932. And then, of course, the one that came out in 83 that everyone's seen, I'm sure. Uh Uh-huh. For the most part. Uh, And, yeah, they're both... Uh, based on the same source material and they have a lot they're very pretty close to each other in a lot of ways different circumstances but a lot of like same plot points yeah like all the interpersonal stuff is the same yeah which was cool yeah that was yeah that's really kind of it is just the interpersonal stuff. Yeah. Like the similar, well, I don't really think they're very similar. Well, I feel like Al Pacino as uh, Tony uh-huh. in 1983 and Paul Mooney, is that how you say it, that name? How do you say that name? M-U-N-I. I don't know. Mooney? I should have looked it up. I mean, uh, I didn't do any research. I just watched them. Ooh, I did research. I solely watched them is all. Well, of course, I researched kind of the shit out of them. But I did try to just, like, watch and enjoy. But, you know, yeah. that's hard for me. Uh, you so. mean, like, you feel compelled to research? Yeah, even, like, while I'm watching, I have a hard time sort of shutting it off. I do understand that, but this time I did successfully just sort of chill and sit back and watch. That's cool. And I still have an hour left of 1983 Scarface. Why is that? What happened? Well, it's eight million hours long. (laughs) I literally like paused it and I was like, well, this feels like it's about over. And I was like, oh my God, another hour. Yeah, I think Brian De Palma can be a little bloated. Yeah, totally bloated. But I also feel like at the point where I am, uh, all of the bases have been covered as far as like what uh, the ground that we are covering compared to OG Scarface, 1932 Scarface. 
Yeah, is an hour left like he's like at the top of his game? Is that that moment or is an hour left is he has just killed Frank Robert Loggia. Oh. And Okay, you you missed some shit. <laughs> okay. Which but, I don't I don't care, you know. About, but it like, does spoilers. follow the 1932 of it all from there it, out. It it actually starts following 1932 the deeper you get into it. Yeah. Because I've I've seen him, you know, accost the sister for being involved with the man in the bathroom. Yeah, I've seen all that. Um and where he's looking at the blimp, the Goodyear blimp that says the world is yours. I love that shit. And then it zooms out and we see, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer is like getting up. Is her name Elvira in the movie? Yeah. Okay. So Elvira's getting out of bed. And. Same scene from 1932. Is it? Well, that he goes and like wakes up the lady that he's like oh, been yeah. after. Who's the boss's lady, but she's obviously like indifferent. Yeah. Kind of indifferent to anyone. Like kind of just like along for the ride, whoever's like top dog. It Polly. seems to me. Her name is Polly in the OG. Poppy. 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 Yeah. Which I thought would have worked well for even though Michelle Pfeiffer's character is a little like I see her like yeah. maybe Elvira makes sense, but I think Poppy would have worked. I thought that was an interesting choice. They were For like, sure. nah, we gotta like make it different. Yeah. Um but that shot actually like I mean I do know that shot. You know, it's like that glass house basically. Which well, De Palma loves a window. Oh, he sure does. <laughs> <laughs> Like, shooting through windows is his favorite thing. And there's a bunch of snafus in this movie where, like, reflection caught, like, you know, uh, I only know this because I read a bunch of shit, like, in the sidebar on Amazon when the movie was playing. But, like, Uh and then I noticed it from time to time. Like, you'll see Brian De Palma in a window or, like, you'll see camera lights in, like, Al Pacino's glasses. And I was like, yeah, I think Brian De Palma's a little bit sloppy because he's just like, they're in it. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, if you would think that if you like love to shoot, because like we've watched yeah. Body Double for this, which is De Palma with our girl. Melanie. Melanie Griffith, who was married to fucking Manny from the 1983 version for a minute. Oh, really? Because you know, I looked him up because like smoking hot. Because he's, he's like the hottest guy in the movie. He's maybe the hottest guy I've ever seen. You're talking about his buddy. Yeah, his buddy, man. Yeah, he's fine. He is fine. F-Y-N-E. Yeah. But listen, that yes. Zola has that building and that shot. Oh, yeah. And uh, when I saw Zola, I was like, oh, that's kind of like that Scarface scene. Yeah. Yeah, iconic. Yeah. But... I mean, I, w- I guess I won't get into opinions just yet. Should we go back to the beginning of, like, the history? Like, contextualize things a bit? Let's go back to 1894, the beginning of film. Okay, let's go back to... 
I won't remind everybody of all the gangster movie shit that we've already covered, but like we are in this moment in 1932 where, you know, so this 1932 version is directed by Howard Hawks. It's produced by Howard Hawks and Howard Hughes. So they knew this is like the gangster genre is booming. Uh, there's like Little Caesars come out, Public Enemy has come out. It's a whole thing. So they want to like, my impression from what I've read is that like they wanted to make money. They wanted to like, you know, get in on this. Capitalize on it. Just jump, jump on that idea. Totally. And yeah. so there's this novel called Scarface by like his pen name. He was like a pulp writer. His name's Armitage Trail, which like, what the fuck? That's not a name. Uh, he wrote it about like loosely based on Al Capone's life. So like Al Capone quickly rises up through the bootlegging business. He's super violent. He's labeled public enemy number one, this whole thing. Ultimately he gets, you know, charged with tax evasion. So that's like the bones of this story. So it's closer in some ways to the 1983 version because in the 1932 version, uh, you know, he, like, goes out in a blaze of glory, which ultimately in the 1983 version he will too, but, like, they threaded that tax evasion shit in there, which I thought was, like, a nice... Into the 80s? Touched. Yeah, in the 80s version, he's, like, being uh, investigated for tax evasion. So, like, that's part of it. Oh. So, like, whatever. Capone is, like... That's, like, what I have to look forward to in the last hour, some tax evasion shit. Well, that's part of it, but it's more complicated than that. Okay. Ultimately, he goes out in a blaze of enemy gunfire, like, you know, gang rival shit. And, like, I can talk about why that was allowed in the 80s version, but in 1932, it has to be fucking uh, this, like, traditional governmental justice moment as opposed to, like, whatever. It was super heavy-handed. So, like, they're warned when they're making this movie, like, yo, this is, like, recent... It's violent. The fucking production, the MPPDA are going to be fucking bummed on this. Yeah. And so we know that, like, this is, like, right before they start, like, seriously enforcing the code. But, like, as we've talked about, like, there is, like, some self-policing happening. And Hayes is, you know, the man and has this whole code that came down in 1930. So, you know, it can't be seen. They have, like, it can't be seen as, like, glorifying a gangster. So Hughes and Hawks, like, fight for a year uh, uh-huh. going against the censors. Hawks doesn't want to, like, give in. But Hughes is kind of, like, more down to bend. Uh, so then they insert this whole beginning, those title cards. Yeah. To, like, get it by the censors. Yeah. Which is weird because it almost felt like they were criticizing the government. Right. And that's so like, I'll read the title cards just because I think it's important. Uh, So it says at the beginning, they just like put this in and then they add another scene later where they discuss how the federal government should get involved. Like, it's very odd. Like, it's just sort of like inserted. And then the other thing they do are these title cards. So the title cards say this picture is an indictment of gang rule in America and of the callous indifference of the government to this constantly increasing, increasing menace to our safety and our liberty. Every incident in this picture is the reproduction of an actual occurrence 
and the purpose of this picture is to demand of the government, what are you going to do about it? The government is your government, what are you going to do about it? Which like, okay. Yeah. But it kind of makes sense to me in the context of like prohibition was like a push for the government to get involved because people were drinking too much and like being violent, uh, you know, the suffragettes and all of that, like pushing for like, hey, our husbands are getting too drunk and they're beating the shit out of us. Uh-huh. Can you please like tell them not to drink as if that was going to be the, you know, solution. So it's like kind of a sign of the era. Right. Is to get involved. Is to like, we want the government to do more for us. Like, right. I think you were allowed to say that. You just weren't allowed to like glorify what was seen as like impure activity. And at the time, like people were like, you know, destitute because of their depression. And they were looking to these dudes that were rich and saying like, obviously you can't like make money by, uh, you know, moralistic means at this point. Right. Like it's not working. So it's like people still want to, like the produce, production companies, the studios still wanted people to come to the movies and like this is what was selling. Right. But you just had to like show that it was uh, somehow there was like retribution. As far as them like following the rules, they do up front say, hey, listen, we don't condone these actions and actually we need to do something about it. But then they go ahead and they make this movie that probably wouldn't have been able to get past the board like three or four years later. Right. Two years. Two years later. Because it's pretty fucking raw. Yeah, it's pretty violent. Like, I mean, there's a lot more like blood in Scarface 1983. And that chainsaw scene is like, I can't even really watch it. Man, that chainsaw scene is like part of my childhood oh yeah i saw it before i saw this movie yeah like i remember it being like on like in my home and just sort of being Mm. like pretty disturbed by the whole thing when i was like seven eight well it's the most gruesome and like i remember because this movie was like so zeitgeisty because of like rap errs becoming like interested in this so much i would see it at like skateboarder dudes houses like yeah yeah it's got spencer gifts vibes you know you know what sell all those posters and yeah yeah which those posters like suck kind of like all the imagery that got pulled from this film like sucks but like the production design of this film is fucking cool as shit. Yeah. Ev- it's, this movie is appreciated for all the wrong reasons. Totally. Like, the shit that's pulled out, I'm like, oh, that's, like, whack looking. Like, the stark, like, black and white with, like, the red type and that font that I don't even like. But then, it, like, you look at the actual film and it's, like, it's a great looking movie. Like, Nicholas Refn pulled all of this for, like, his films. Yeah. I feel. Like, Brian De Palma knows how to make a good-looking movie. Oh, my God. Yes. But it's also, like, you know, it's fucking a misogynist dream. Oh, yeah. Macho, macho, you know, like, 
ugh, dorm room shit. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I feel, to me, watching this movie, I don't think I was thinking this when I, like, saw this in high school uh-huh. at, like, you know, bratty skateboarders' houses. But, uh-huh. like, uh, it's, like... Both of these main, both of our Tonys, the 1932 Paul Mooney, Paul Money, how the uh-huh. fuck do you say that? And uh, <laughs> the Al Pacino Tony, they're both so fucking sad and pathetic to me. Yeah, except, you know, Paul Mooney's just way more charming. Hot. And Al Pacino, like, I don't find, uh, also, first of all, having not, like, actually ever sat down and watched this movie and having just seen most of it for the first time, like pretty, pretty embarrassing performance. I have to say, Oh, you don't like it. Al Pacino. Yeah. No, I think it's embarrassing. He's like, and he's in, there's too much Brown face in this movie for me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like Robert Loggia, like dude, come on. Oh, for sure. For like, sure. Just like laying it on so thick. The like 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 eighty three is like such a soap opera. Oh, for sure. It's definitely yeah. lacking charm compared to the nineteen thirty two version. I mean, I feel like Brian De Palma loves a soap opera. Yeah. That's for why sure. it's like this movie is serious in a way. Like a lot of stuff that I read was like comparing the two right. and being like, Oh, it doesn't have the slapstick elements of 32 but it's like mm-hmm. but it does because there are like there's a I don't want to call it silliness because it's not that's not quite the right word but there's mm-hmm. like some shit where it's like that Brian De Palma bend where it's like it's not super serious ever yeah I mean it does have like some moments that are like unintentionally goofy there's a goofiness the bathtub scene oh you didn't see the bathtub scene but I do think that, like, some of those performances are totally goofy. Yeah. Well, you later, know? there is, like, a very... So, like, it's iconic. I'm sure you've seen stills from it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can spoil anything you want. I mean, I I'm Oh, I'm going finish. to, because the assignment was to watch the movie. So now you're getting spoiled. Uh, well, I don't care. I, I mean, I, I still have an hour left. Today. And I do intend to watch it. Yeah. So, like... I'm sure you've seen it. So like, uh, his house is absurd. Uh, and not just like the 1932 Tony's house, which is just like barricaded, like paranoid. It's like Pacino's house is paranoid with the surveillance cameras and all of that, which like Uh Brian De Palma loves that shit. He loves like a surveillance screen. Um, can't get enough. But then, he has this bathroom that is huge and has like a bathtub in the center of it that's like as big as like a jacuzzi tub. Okay. And uh carpet We're talking all like, around it. Like Biggie Smalls video bathtub. Yes. Yeah. Well, this like movie is Biggie Smalls, you know? Like yeah, it's totally. They're like so intermeshed like yeah. in culture at this point. Cause like yeah. rap just like glommed onto this aesthetic. Right. But uh Michelle Pfeiffer is, like, in the background. He's, like, in the tub watching the news on, like, a bunch of screens. Uh-huh. And um, I think it's the news. And Manny is, like, sitting next to it. And it's, like, he has this, like, 
temper tantrum because like Michelle Pfeiffer as Elvira is like going in on him like just like making fun of him like like that he's not like even pointing out like the differences between like him and Frank Uh and he's like having a fucking tantrum and it's like that shit is funny like yeah this rich man boy like going nuts it's like I don't think that's like Brian De Palma doesn't want us in that moment to think like, ooh, this guy's tough. Like he wa- right. he's making fun of him. Right. Like there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that works for me. Right. I mean, it really does just sort of show in both movies that like this character is easily <laughs> is is very sensitive. Oh my god, like sensitive to like the highest degree it's this like yeah. idea that uh men aren't emotional because we've decided that like anger isn't an emotion right but it's like these men are hyper emotional it's just the way they express it is through like anger yeah and violence like and screaming yeah like treating people like shit so like yeah i think it's like and Oliver Stone wrote the screenplay to the 1983 right. version. And I think he, like, he did a good job of, like, capturing that, like, this isn't, like, a cool, tough guy. Like, right. dudes that, like, feel the need to prove themselves by, like, gaining this kind of power are pathetic in yeah. their own way. I mean, I wonder if that is the message or if... <laughs> that is yeah. was the prevailing attitude is that like this is how you get things is by acting this way because yeah, cer- that's what a lot of people probably took from it yeah it certainly did feed the mind of the man that wanted to be tony from the 1983 version yeah that sort of vibe yeah yeah i mean it's like it's hard to disconnect the two and like I couldn't possibly just because it had such an impact on popular culture yeah, and what, and what people, what, you know, dudes sort of held in high regard. So it's like who was walking around with that message under their belt that they can act the way that Al Pacino acts in the movie Scarface and be a successful man. I think the vibe of the 80s was like it. I think Tony in the 83 version says something like, you know, Uh you get the money, you get the power and then you get the women. It's like, yeah. And once you're like powerful and you have the money and you have the woman or multiple women, whatever your deal is. Yeah. They're very faithful. These Tonys, um, which is interesting Um, that like then anything goes like you have no rules. You don't have to be a decent human. All you have to be is loyal. That's like the one thing right. that they're concerned with is loyalty. Yeah. But not like how the loyalty expresses itself. Just like don't screw me over because I'm saying that I won't screw you over. But like it doesn't matter how I treat you. Right. I mean, both of these movies do also uh, reflect specific moments in history as well which is interesting like so this how this 83 remake came to be was al pacino saw the original Uh uh-huh uh and he like called his manager and producer this martin bregman dude Mm who's like a dude 
uh, and said, I think like this could be remade. And he originally wanted it to be like a period piece. Okay. But they were like, ah, I think it's like too melodramatic. I also heard that like budget was an mm-hmm. issue, though I'm like, damn, like they spent a lot on production design, so I don't know. Yeah. Well, but, I don't, I mean, I'm sure they did spend a lot on production design, but a lot of that shit already existed. Oh, yeah. I mean, look. Well, they shot wise. most of this in LA because Miami oh. was like, we're not into this because of oh. the way that it characterizes the Cuban. Sure immigrant community yeah it does open pretty hard on kind of like setting us up for like an anti-immigration sort of vibe for sure yeah using what looks like a lot of real footage from the time as far as people arriving from cuba but it also gives an interesting backstory on that whole flood of people coming into florida Mm mm-hmm yeah, with like one fifth of them supposedly being criminals that Castro was like. Right, like what a weird random number. Tossing. You know, it was almost like that was with those title cards, that was their version of like, we're going to give you some information. You know, yeah. it was almost like a weird scare tactic about like, oh, well, I did see in this movie that came out in the movie theater. That a fifth of these people are dangerous criminals. Yeah, for sure. You and know, like not very it's a very uncool setup. Even yeah. though like I think the idea to have it be about cocaine as opposed to like just being a rehashing of a prohibition era film, like Yeah, it certainly I don't think updates it's, itself. Right. And like Oliver Stone, when they got him involved. He was like, yeah, I don't want to make another Italian, like, mafia movie. There's so many. Right. And it's got to be something else. Like, he didn't want to do it. And then he was like, oh, okay, if we can do it right. differently, then cool. Right. And he, like, went down to Florida and did all these interviews and, like, got addicted to cocaine. Uh-huh. And then went to France to get clean and wrote the script sober which is interesting what how weird that's so weird is almost like <laughs> a, like a perk slash like a not a perk yeah it didn't work out for him so well the research portion but yeah. i think he's all right but yeah like that's an interesting tra- trajectory i think the yeah. script is good i think it needed to be like just like cut some of the fat like yeah that like bloated middle where it's like I get that they're, like, developing this character of Tony by showing him in all these, like, inner, like, the inner workings of, like, how you become, like, a, you know, the boss and, like, how deals work and shit. But it's, like, okay, we get it. Yeah, you, like, make deals. Like, the 1932 was, like, perfectly succinct. It also covers, like, a lot less chronological time. Like, it's just, like, only, I mean, what? That movie probably happens in, like... A month and this movie takes right i don't know a couple of years or something i do love the performances in the original i love i love that paul i love i love kind of how aloof that actress is that plays poppy she's oh, not yeah. that she's not that great but <laughs> i think it kind of like makes that character well did we talk about this on the podcast like yeah, I'm sure we did, like, this idea that um, all women, like, are acting. Oh, no, I'm t- 
totally like thinking of something that I watched this week and I'll get to that later. But uh, there was, okay, Joanne Woodward, who's um, Paul Newman's wife, but like a fucking phenomenal phenomenal actress was saying like Uh something about how like women are acting all the time, like especially women of a certain era, like only maybe recently we got to like be ourselves, but we used to have to like play a role Uh that like suited men. So like she just seems to be like, she's playing a role but like her character would be like playing a role of like yeah totally you know yeah the lady that gets all the dudes to like yeah take care of her well i think i uh, it made me think of um january jones playing betty draper oh yeah like um like january jones in mad men is really great she uh develops the Betty Draper character. Um, but I also know that she was like kind of panned for her acting, but that, yeah, same thing. Like she is trying to put on a certain kind of face. Yeah. So everything that she does, does feel like acting. But yeah, I believe that her character, like that real life version of her character would be doing that. Right. Like you so would, like, you would meet that person and we have met that person. I, I feel like I have met a person that it's kind of like, man, this person is really not showcasing something that is that genuine. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And I think there's like a, a high key expectation of women that like, right. you know, if you're going to be by the side of like a powerful man that you're going to be playing the proper role and in this case like she's like you know she doesn't have to be nice but she has to be like hot right and i think like her sort of iciness is only more appealing to like her dude who is tony's boss yeah he's joe and later tony in the original and then he's frank in the remake yeah I love from the 1932 one. So, like, fucking uh, Tony in 1932 has, like, a way crazier scar than Al Pacino does. Yeah, for sure. Tony. It actually looks more real. It looks, like, brutal real. And, like, ooh, like, you never find out the backstory. No, you don't get any story about it. Which is cool. Yeah. Um, They, like, make jokes about what it's from. Like, I know the Al Pacino version, it's, like... Someone asked him if he got it, like, eating pussy. He's like, how would I get this eating pussy? Yeah. Well, also, Al Capone did have a wicked scar. A scar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they reveal the, his scar face by, like, he's under all those barbershop towels. Like, yeah. I thought the scene was so perfect. Yeah. And, like, the cops are coming around. So, like, you know, the everyone's, like, stashing their guns. They, like, throw them all into this mm-hmm. barbershop like basket and then like he has all the towels on his face and they're like yo where's fucking Kamanti?" um and he's like under all these like barbershop towels and i was like this movie's fucking sick i really like, really I'm ready to I, go i definitely preferred it also i don't know if you noticed but there were a lot of x's in that movie oh yeah Totally. Filled There's like an X on the With all these X's. Door. Lights that create X's. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, X's over dead bodies. Mm-hmm. And in the end credits, end title card, there's a big X. Yeah. Yeah. Just a repeating theme. Something that does not, is not, I mean, I haven't, I didn't see anything so blatant in uh, the De Palma version. But maybe I missed it. But it's just much more obvious in the original. And I really like it. I like it as a motif and as like, you know, something symbolic. I like the symbolism of it. Yeah. That the only thing that I can think the... symbolism that was borrowed between the films is uh-huh. the the world is yours signage. So like in the 1932 yeah. movie, it's like in neon lights outside of like the, that's what's crazy. Like they're very literal. All of the interpersonal stuff is like very literally copied from movie to movie, which I yeah. thought was cool. Like if you've seen both, you're like, oh, yeah. And, like, I know, like, at the end of the 83 version, it says, like, it's dedicated to uh, Howard Hawks and his, uh, the dude that he often worked on screenplays with. Like, they were, like, collaborators. His name is, what's his fucking name? Or Ben Hecht. So, like, it's, like, dedicated okay. to that. I'm sure, like, they watched the shit out of the old version and they did a really good job of copying. But, like... Yeah. So they have the world is uh, yours in neon outside of Poppy's window. Right. And then later it comes back up. And in the 83, like we see it again later as like he's like taken out. In the 1983 version, uh, there's a blimp outside of Elvira's window, like when he gets with her. Right. And then later he like gets like a crazy sculpture made of it and like when he gets like finally gunned down okay he falls from the second story into the pool and you just like pan up onto the the world is yours. statue okay. the world is yours and it's like at what cost fool like well you just ruined it for me i'm just yep. ki- i'm just kidding it's a good i mean like i'm sure you've seen parts of that scene too these things i'm are sure like i have so in the yeah world it's kind of crazy but yeah and especially like rap music but i do think there's like some elegantly done symbolic things and that cross over between both because i do think this is like a tale as old as time like what was ever going to be enough and like in the 83 version frank tells tony like yo like the dudes that like you know thrive in our business yeah like they keep their heads down they're fucking chill like you can't yeah you can't be all erratic no you can't be a tony like it doesn't work yeah i mean that's what happens the 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 detective is sort of says that same thing to uh tony in the 1932 version he tells him you know Mm -hmm. like well he just warns him you know he's like i see you over there i see how you act and like you're gonna you're gonna fucking get smoked because you are loud and you are obnoxious yeah people want to see you fucking fail when you act like that yeah so it's like you're not going to be in a good position to like keep this going if you're like lashing out all the time and being like hyper reactive yeah how about sister i love sister in 32 Oh, I love sister. She's got a great face. I love both sisters. I like both sisters too. Um, yeah, and I like the gets, sister stuff. 
Yeah, I like the sister stuff more than I like, uh, you know, like if he were in that room with Poppy, you know, it's just like a much more, it's just a much different and more unique sort of pairing, you know, it's not yeah. like, well, you know, my complaint where it's always like two lovers, romance, you know, yeah. and it's like, this could be a different kind of love, you know, this is like mm-hmm. a sibling kind of thing. And also just like that woman, her acting is very good. When she gets shot, she has this jerk reaction that is not what you would expect. It's it's like a pre-code reaction to getting shot. Something that is like way more guttural in her Mm. physicality. Something that is like, oh, I just got shot in the stomach. That's not glamorous. Yeah. It's kind of what uh, I I feel like Betty Davis wanted to do with her career, of which she proved with Of Human Bondage, in which she yeah. sort of gave herself the go-ahead to be ugly and die a horrible death and die something unglamorous which i think yeah after we have the haze code put into place people die in this very like old hollywood kind of stupid kind of mocking it's like it's like what movies mocked later as far as like oh i'm dying like like the back of the wrist on the forehead. I've been shot. Yeah. But sister dies in a pretty brutal way. Yeah. And it's only brutal because of the way she is directed and the way that she acts. Right. And it's brutal. Like, there's a lot of nuance there because it's like kid sister, like, dying to kind of be like big brother, kind of like into it like looking for his love and like also like looking to get involved in like some of like the bad boy activities that she's like not allowed like yeah it wouldn't make sense if it was a brother right like it has to be a sister and then when she does partake which he does like give her some money in both versions gives her some money and says like go have a fun time but when that fun looks like unchaste meaning that she's like dancing with another man or making right. out with another well, man whatever it is well he's not like, expecting uh-uh. he's not expecting that like that fun actually like overlaps in his into his world right like she needs to put on her bobby socks and go yeah. you know and we do actually doll. see buy a new doll we do see that kind of a character in dragnet girl with yeah little brother of nice sister mm-hmm. sort of like uh, trying to achieve that kind of like gangster i want to be in on all of this kind of action sort yeah. of role i mean it's exciting to be bad yeah and bad kid he's out yeah bad kids uh he's it looks glamorous like you know yeah for sure and like what they're what these sisters are doing is not nearly as like problematic or has like the consequences of what this dude does except for like maybe like being seen as like an unclean woman was dangerous 
in 32 and to lesser degree, but like still existent uh, in 83. But it's like, you can see the sisters, the moms are like, no, like my son sucks. Like, don't be like him. (laughs) Yeah. But like the sisters are like, hmm. And like, I know there was uh, a, so like in the 83 version, the sister does, I think they like, when they kill Manny, her love, um, you know, her brother's henchman uh-huh. who she falls in love with and marries while he's away. Same exact plot line. When they bring her back uh, after he's dead, she, they, like, say that they, like, she's, like, on drugs. But she, like, comes into the room right before the whole, like, gun battle happens. Uh-huh. And uh, she is, like, trying to seduce Al Pacino. Uh-huh. And there's, like, I know even in the 1932 version, there was this idea that there were, like, incest vibes uh-huh. in the story, which in 1932 I did not read. But, like, in 83 they sort of, like, make it a a thing, which I thought was kind of annoying because I think they were wrong in 32 to think of it as, like, inc- like that he was attracted to his sister. It wasn't that he was attracted to his sister. Like, his sister was his property, like, anything else. You know, like his little henchman dude was like, it's not that he was like, loved his sister or Mm -hmm. was attracted to his sister. Right. It was that like, this is my property. Like I get to say what, how she exists. Right. Because like, I'm a dude and I'm powerful. Yeah. It's another level of control. For sure. And And, you know, maybe that is sort of uh, like, he can't fully grasp or get control of poppy or elvira Mm -hmm. so he needs to displace that and put it on another woman right and i think like in the 83 version we see like in a way that we don't see in the 1932 version how like just because you get the girl doesn't mean like you got the girl like, just because, like, you clear out your competition and she agrees to be with you. Right. You can't control every, you know, like, he's, like, lamenting, like, that all she wants to do is, like, do cocaine and she sleeps all day and all this. It's like, yeah, like, that's going to be hard to control, especially when you have, you know, a woman that is willing to be willful as opposed to, like, fall into, like, the status quo of, like you know, making cookies and fucking waiting on you hand and foot and like giving you babies, which is like a big deal to him. He wants babies. And she's like, yo, dude, like what kind of dad would you be? You'd be fucking terrible. And you'd probably be dead by the time the kid was like going to school. Right. I mean, come on, dude. Like you just want it because that's what society says you're supposed to do. You just. And it's another thing to own. Another thing to own. Another thing to say, look what I have. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of mental illness going on in both of these movies. Oh, straight up. Yeah. It's the same. I feel like they did, like the 83 version, I like it for a lot of reasons, and there's things that I have problems with. Yes, like the accents are like, oof. Uh, yeah. The Italian accents are pretty brutal in 32, too. Like some of them, I'm like, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, what is this? Yeah. Though I love fucking Paul Mooney. I'm going to say it's because it's like municipal. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I do but like he his... he was, like, one of the few actors of this era that was, like, known as, like, a good actor. Like, he got to, like, choose, like, whatever uh-huh. 
films he wanted to do and like well he also i also did i was down for the way he spoke it was so strange it was like uh garbled and kind of you know it it lent itself to the character same way for al pacino it just he just seemed like such a goof a doof I think it's also because he was that. having fun. It Al also, Pacino's character wasn't having any fun, but Paul Mooney's he was having fun. Yeah, he's a sly fox. I I also think that like you know that Al Pacino character has also just been mocked and used and referenced in so many things pop culturally that it also might be sort of making me a little more critical of it. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, I haven't seen it in full in, like, a long time, but I've definitely seen it in full, like, a bunch of times. Yeah. And watching it now, I actually, like, appreciated a lot more of the elements, like, outside of, you know, like, yeah. not really thinking about Al Pacino as much, but, like, also, like, feeling bad for him as opposed to, like, kind of rolling my eyes at, like, him being a tough guy. Like, yeah. I could see more nuance there. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that, I mean, it could totally be my brain warping, like, what is, like, just a macho movie, but, like, there's, like, he's all drunk at the restaurant and, like, going off, and, like, I'm like, ooh, this is, like, a man in pain. Yeah. And I think men that, like, lash out violently, you know, of course have trauma for the most part, and also just, like, the way they're, like, in pain all the time, to, like, have to prove yourself, like... It's just proof of the pain yeah. you're feeling internally that you're just, like, trying to make other people feel yeah. in front of your face so that, like, you can feel a little bit, like, less alone or something. Yeah. Like, maybe I've just experienced that more since the yeah. last time I really watched this movie. But I'm like, goddamn, like, these dudes. He's also got bang. He's also got bangs, you know? So His, maybe, maybe that has something to do with it. He's not attractive. I feel like Al Pacino, he's a great actor, but I think he's a very unlikely leaning man. I just don't like that hair. Well, his hair always looks kind of weird. It's weird. I was trying to figure it out in this movie because the bangs don't help, but like he's got a lot of volume like on top that makes like his head look like long, but covered in hair on the top. Like high but like all hair on the yeah. top do you know what i mean if i looked in the mirror and i had bangs I'd, I'd lash out too maybe it's a thing that was in vogue but like the way it's that definitely Manny, it definitely love, looks like his character for sure that hair is very specific to that character and he does in the beginning to be fair he like ties it up in like a little bandana roll Oh yeah, when he's Ties playing back. when he's playing a little b ball. I think that's better. He is so weird. The character weird. of Tony is like not hot and weird. Like he's compelling. Yeah. Like you're watching him. His physicality is also like both of these actors playing Tony have like amazing physicality. But like he's not like Paul Mooney is hot. Al Pacino is a fucking weird dude. Yeah. Like Tony played by Pacino is like I don't I didn't really see how Elvira was into it besides the fact that it's just like well I mean she was also into Frank totally you know he was just more normal looking 
Yeah. All right. So what about your love? What about him? Oh, Manny? Yeah. Uh, his hairstyle. <laughs> what a power. To talk about my love's hairstyle. <laughs> uh, he had like a little like grease to the side look, which like when, as soon as, oh my God, the, the wardrobe and how it like plays with the production design in this yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Like every prop in a room, I'm like, oh my God, this is like perfect. This yeah. is exactly what it would be in this fantasy land. Yeah. Or like, you know. There really were drug lords, cocaine, cowboys, whatever. Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, I remember the news in the 80s about Miami. Yeah, like just flashy like, wealth, which I do like. Or just like, like uh, uh, hey, man, I'm sorry that you were at the mall, but we were trying to get that guy, so we just shot everybody oh, yeah. who was there. Yeah. Sorry. Drug war. Yeah. And the same thing yeah. in 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 the nineteen twenties and thirties. Yeah. With that whole world. It's just like And same whoops, with Prohibition. It was like blew same up, deal. We blew up your kids. Sorry, they shouldn't have been at the candy store. That was also oh a fucking front for a distillery. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. But yeah, like the cost so like Manny I clocked his hairstyle yeah. when he was wearing like a unbuttoned down to his navel lavender like satin top yeah like all the textiles were like so great like yeah uh all these dudes and i'm just like dudes should look like this why can't we see dudes like in the world looking like this anymore but i like he had like a little slick to the side like greasy as fuck like hairstyle but it was so cute but I mean, that man is also just like ungodly handsome. So like, yeah. I don't know if like every dude could try that hairstyle. I think it might be a bad choice. But like, I feel like all these dudes look fantastic. Yeah. I'm into this styled, look. styled like great job, guys. Yeah, it's definitely a costume movie. And the ladies, are, you know, oh, it's yeah. like I mean, we're like we're transitioning out of the disco era. Yeah. So we're like in between the disco era and like when we're about to get like more late 80s angular and fluorescent. Mm-hmm. And Love it. Michelle Pfeiffer, she does not float around, which I really mm-hmm. love. Like when she's coming down in that elevator and you don't see her from the front at all, she's super fidgety and she just has this like very like tomboyish quality to her yeah which i really tomboy on cocaine tomboy on cocaine she's <laughs> a far cry from stephanie in greece too oh yeah R- which R- was R- one year before this r.i.p olivia yeah get well soon girl well this is her breakout for sure and i think like she is a different kind she's not like She's a waif, technically, but, like, she is not acting, like, waify. No. Even, like, Greta Garbo ballerina bullshit. Right. That I love, also. But, like, yeah, no, she, like, looks like, you know, she has a masculinity, also. Right. She's not all femme. Right. I don't remember, um, aside from just her sort of demeanor and her her vocal presentation, I don't remember seeing some vocal. I don't remember seeing uh, the like Poppy's physicality. 
I don't. I, she's like sitting a lot. I mean, she's or like tough down. Howard Hawks girl. Like, yeah, she that Howard Hawks thing that I think was forming, but like Hawksian woman, like the Catherine Hepburn, the Lauren Bacall, like the right. Uh, tell it like it is. See, like okay, that yeah, shit. sure, yeah. That's what was gonna happen. Okay. This is the beginnings of that. So I think like. We're not hearing all, like, the fast talking, but we're hearing, like, about to be. So, like, they are a little, I mean, those women that I just listed that are going to, like, make their names alongside Howard Hawks. Like, they're tomboys. Totally. Yeah. Like, they are capitalizing on the fact that they aren't ultra femme. Uh Uh-huh. Submissive. Yeah. They don't. There's something. They wear pants. They're not interested God in being it. pushed around. No. And it's hot. Yeah. So I think Poppy is like of that for sure. Yeah. But yeah, she doesn't have, uh, that actress doesn't have as much of a presence as a goddamn Michelle Pfeiffer. She's fucking coked up. She's not so coked so up. So much coke. She's not so coked up where I am in the movie. But see, now I'm I'm ready to, I'm ready to watch this last hour and watch her. Oh, Just yeah, she mouths go down. for it. And then she leaves. And that's the, uh, like, she makes a stand. She's like, goodbye, dude. Yeah. And, which is different than 1932, where, like, where we leave off, he's going to confront his sister. Right. And uh, he just sort of leaves her at the club. So, like, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. An interesting thing to note in both movies, when the bosses are, like, you know, backed against the wall by our Tonys. Uh-huh. They offer the woman as like a, I'll give you Poppy yeah, slash Elvira. Listen, I'll give you this bitch. Take this bitch. Like, what? Come on. And like, how is that going to work? Like, okay, I'll let you live and you just tell her to come with me. Like, right. what? Let's play this forward and see like in what world this is going to work. What yeah. is our reality going to become? Right. Ugh. I mean, she's. But I loved this exercise of watching both. Oh yeah, yeah. This one and that one. And that they like do have these same plot points. Right. It was like okay, like now we're like I was like tracking it, mm-hmm. and then seeing the differences. It's like if you're gonna make a remake, I'm telling all the screenwriters and directors right this is a nice way to do it like different circumstances find like the updated like everything old is new like history repeats itself whatever fucking trite saying you want to say but like just thought like there is a there is a story that matches some other shit because like watching like great gatsby again it's like right the fuck right well who needs that it's like um like clueless you know it's like clueless is jane austen right it's like emma Mm -hmm. so it's like yeah there's another that's another remake that is like okay this is a totally updated totally different version that is less blatant than the scarface comparison but uh you know do that remake you know do do the non-period piece version of something that is already good yeah or i like it like what quentin tarantino does which i think that everything that quentin tarantino does is 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 
loosely a remake of some exploitation film or like a bunch of exploitation films just thrown in and like you know quentin tarantino was like see here's like my bigger budget version uh more crafted fine-tuned version of like the this group of films yeah which is cool it's like it's not completely masturbatory but you get to like you know, be a fan and right. go, I want to, as a fan, as someone that loves this so much, I want to see how I can do it. Right. I mean, I can't think of any specific examples, but I know that like in my sort of further exploration of uh, like exploitation films and B movies and cult movies, like I do actually come across these like very specific scenarios that do make me say oh that is very much the scene in whatever tarantino movie yeah i'll i'll write i'll write some down i'll start writing them down the next time i come across them and see what kind of list i can make yeah i think it's like you find inspiration everywhere whether it's like super literal like al pacino al pacino scene the 1932 Scarface and being like, oh, I, I think this could be remade. Or if it's like an amalgam of like a bunch of shit that you love. Yeah. Um, I like, I love to find that shit. Like that is one of my favorite exercises in like that as I have like a more complete film, at least like in the pockets that I love. Yeah. Um, more complete like library in my brain of some of this shit. It's like, it's so fun to see, oh, that's, like, totally this. Yeah. You know? But this is so literal because it's just, like, oh, like, there's a earlier version. But they're not, like, remaking it. Right. So you can, like, see what they liked about it and didn't. It's not that dissimilar from, like, how Ozu is, like, oh, I love American gangster films. I'm going to right. make one. But it's going to be in Japan. Like, it's a... F- I love that shit. Yeah. Uh... Also, Brian De Palma gets to be Brian De Palma, you know? Yeah. Like, he gets to do a different version. He gets to have, like, a different vision. Um, You know, it's like he gets to do a sort of remake of Scarface when he does The Untouchables. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like, later in the 80s. Um, I mean, Brian De Palma is himself always in all the ways that are good and bad like he does have these tropes right and this story works for that it's cool to see i am a fan of his so it's like i see i am and i'm not you know it's like sometimes i'm a little annoyed at how on the nose he is about his references especially his hitchcock references i know that that's like a huge one of the like very especially in body double Oh man, and and then like dress to kill. It's just like, man, could you just be a little more obvious? Yeah. So I saw this thing. Howard Hawks gave his definition of a good movie, which is three great scenes, no bad scenes. That's what he says about it. And this person was talking about how Brian De Palma, like, he's an auteur, he has his thing, but uh-huh. like very uh rarely does he hit on that three great scenes no bad scenes right 
And I think like, that's a tough one because I think that there's, I'm trying to think of some bad scenes like in this. I think it's more like, it's not that they're bad. It's just like, why? Right. Like you just wanted to do this. Like, it's just that bloat thing, that like mid film sag shit. Right. And that, I like so many people fall victim <laughs> to. I don't hate this scene, but it is definitely like a wow, you're really laying it on thick. Uh the uh let's hang a man from a helicopter. Oh my god. And it's like I just don't love violence so much i mean honestly like i know the chainsaw scene is like famous i don't fucking need it i guess like he has to have like make a bang into like yeah you know well, this crime world but i'm just like this is just like shock for shock's sake like well i don't know i think that honestly it's i, I think it is actually indicative of what was happening in yeah miami the especially gruesome. at the time where it was like they were finding boxes with body parts in them along the side of the mm-hmm. highway this was like not this was not yeah, okay you know this was not okay so you did have this level of violence in the 1920s and 30s and but it was people being shot you know it, it which is bad enough but then in miami it it was more torture gruesome yeah. well to like prove dismemberment Griselda yeah, Blanco. Like you, yeah, like fear as a form of like territory taking, like yeah, who could be the gnarliest? Where like in the thirties, it's like all, uh, you know, Tommy guns, and that's like the most. Did you ever see that Cocaine Cowboys documentary? No. So they go into that, and apparently it was like it was all this woman who she was basically the Tony Montoya. Oh, yes. No, I did see this. Yeah, that yes, she, the, she was the one. What's that her was name? You just said it. Griselda. Griselda, Griselda Blanco. Yeah. She, was, yeah, she was the one that was ordering all of that. Well, think about like what kind of drug cocaine is. Like you are going to get high on your own supply. Like there's no way uh, you're not. And cocaine is fucking hectic. I've binged and woke up and I'm like, I've been roasting a head. What is happening here? <laughs> it smells amazing in here, but like, I can't eat all this on my own. Oh my God. I have never done that much Coke. No, but yeah. Oh, I just thinking of the difference between chainsaws and Tommy guns. Uh, did you clock Boris Karloff? Oh like, yeah. I love him. Guy? I love him. This is the year after Frankenstein. Yeah, I love I love his brief uh his brief appearance in the film. I think it's like really significant and I th- think he's great. Ugh, that face, man. Yeah. He's really great. Yeah. Uh loved him as a gangster. Yep. Yeah. I'm just surprised like after his like big star turn as like, you know, he's like horror star at this point, but it just happened. Right. 1931. Yeah. That it's like, oh, this like little part. But it's like you think about like these times, like you're on the lot, like go over for a couple scenes. Yeah, totally. Like, oh, you're going to be this guy. Yeah. Today, maybe tomorrow. I have had a very sort of my other viewing has also been pretty masculine. Karloffian? No, like masculine-y. 
Oh, what is it? I feel like, I don't think I mentioned it, but I watched Across 110th Street. Oh, no, you didn't mention it. So that one was one that was, that's like on, well, it was on Criterion Channel, but just. Oh yeah, you're still on that, like watching the ones that are about to go away. It went away. It went away uh, at the end of the month, but it was, it was one that was like way more specific as far as its time period. It's 1972, so that's 50 years ago. Scott Yafat Koto and Anthony Quinn, and it is this very much like a very male-driven crime drama. And it is like steeped in its racism in a way that is like, it's, it's confrontational, not in a way that they're glorifying it or that they are trying to make statements about it. I think that they're really just sort of like letting it exist in a moment in which it very much existed. Okay. So it's a little bit of a hard watch, but it is also really, really fucking good. Yeah. Uh, Across 110th Street references the dividing line between Harlem and the rest of New York Mm -hmm. City. So once you're across 110th Street, you're in Harlem. Uh, And it's about the... uh, you know, the 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 black gang, the black gangster world, sort of trying to take control of their own money and their own situations, rather than allowing the Italian mob to keep their hands on their money. It's like, no, you're yeah. not collecting from us. This is our world. It's not specifically about that, but it definitely references it heavily. It's definitely the underlying tone of the whole thing. And there's just really, really great performances throughout the entire thing. Okay. So that's one thing that I've, that was very significant as far as like what my watching has been. Then I also watched the Florida Project. Oh, cool. What'd you think? Uh, fantastic. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah. I saw it when it came out. Okay. I like A it. world. It's, it's, it creates a world. Yep, for sure. That's a good one. Yeah. What about you? I, yeah, I binged, um, so like Ethan Hawke, it's kind of interesting. So there's like this HBO documentary series that Ethan Hawke did about Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. Uh-huh. So like I almost was talking about it earlier with that like women right needing to act, but it like Ethan Hawke really like does a really good job. It's a bunch of episodes, maybe like 6. Like it's a journey. Okay. But it's it's called like The Last uh Movie Star, I think, or Movie Stars. Yeah. Cuz like they really were at this point, this like turning point of like where it became this different thing, like this more fragmented thing. Um, and, you know, we all know Paul Newman, but like, and people like knew he was like married forever. 
you know like i think that was like part of his yeah deal Mm -hmm. though i mean he had many affairs and his relationship with joanne woodward started as an affair for five years and he had like something like three kids um, in new jersey well he like they they were in a play together they were understudies like Mm -hmm. as a couple and met and like she's just like regarded by like everyone is just like she was like the i mean they were both involved in uh the actor's studio and like all that like method lee strasberg shit and like you know james dean was there and marilyn monroe and like uh-huh. like all the the guys um and they definitely like it seems so exciting but it also like yeah like they talk about a lot of shit about like how um it was seen as like effeminate to be an actor and like how that sort of like interplayed with how these guys were perceived. And then you have Marlon Brando, who's like already the guy he's like kind of impossible to contend with. So like Paul Newman coming in here and like his first movie's a flop and he's like kind of just seen as like this, the dude with like blue eyes, you know, he's like not taken that seriously. He's not like a force of nature, like Marlon Brando. And then Joanne Woodward, who kind of is a force of nature, is, like, sort of side... She works, like, she does interesting work her whole life, and, like, they act together a lot, and, like, he directs her and things, and, like, you know, he's a race car driver. They just have, like, very full yeah. lives, and, like, seem to have, like, a really great partnership. Um, but she does driving. have feelings. Cookie maker, salad dressing maker, spaghetti make, sauce yeah. maker. Yeah, which, like, people thought was, like, super goofy, but he was like, fuck it. Yeah. I'm gonna, like, raise money for charity. Yeah, go for it. Uh, and I, my dressing is good. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I've eaten, it, I have had those products. Oh, yeah, I have some fucking Caesar dressing in my fridge right now that I bought, like, right after. Like, I don't always buy their Caesar oh dressing, but I was at the store, and You're I was like, like, oh, I need some Hi, Caesar. I just saw this HBO documentary. <laughs> I'm wondering, do you carry the Paul Newman line of dressings? <laughs> Everyone does. It's so, I know. it's everywhere. It's, it might as but, well be Nabisco. Oh, my God, it's crazy. But I loved this, just, like, so what happened, the premise of the documentary series, um, and maybe this will sell people on it because I think it's cool. So he was writing a book with, like, this famous screenwriter dude, like, before he died. Uh-huh. And it, for some reason, it's like a mystery. He burnt all this shit, like, all this stuff, like, all these tapes, like, of hours and hours of interviews with, like, everyone that, like, basically oh. they investigated him, like, from the jump, like, everyone that had engaged with him. Uh-huh. They had, like, done these recorded interviews. Um, So, like, so weird. Like, why? Like, he's just like, fuck it. I don't want people to know. He has some dicey shit in there. Mostly the, like, cheating of it all. And he was an alcoholic. But, like, he was mostly, like, a drink alone. I think they were saying something like 10 martinis or something, which is, like, sayonara. Like, what the fuck? Good night. Good night. That's, like, that. that is also head roasting amounts of alcohol fuck yeah Blackout, and like out wake his... up roasting a head yeah insane so like maybe there's things that they left out that people said on the tapes i don't know but like what ended up happening were like some of the tapes had been transcribed so they have transcriptions right. so then they got all these dudes like george clooney reads all the paul newman and like uh-huh. uh 
Laura Linney is Joanne Woodward. Like, uh-huh. they, like, cast people. Yeah. But then they, like, show them on screen, like, Zoom, like, COVID style. Because that's when Ethan Hawke was making this documentary. Yeah. But, like, I love Ethan Hawke. And I was so down for, like, this weird yeah. documentary style. But then, like, you know, there's so much great footage because they have, you know, great filmographies. Right. But I really loved it. I kind of got transported and, like, you know, thought a lot about, like, creativity. Because, like, yeah. these are highly creative people. And, yeah, and process and all of that. Yeah, yeah. I like process investigating sort of shit and it's like and it's by an actor who like you know he understands this craft yeah he was in that boyhood movie which is a very much a, oh yeah that's a totally. that's a process totally so did you have anything for olivia newton john oh no i don't have what do you mean like did i watch any olivia right and yeah I mean, I think everybody really just has the same things for her. It's kind of like, well, she's Sandy in Greece. Yeah, and like, you know, some of the singing in general. Yeah. You know. I did watch I did watch Xanadu with friends oh. last Christmas. Fun. Watched it all the way yeah. through for the first time. It's a pretty bad movie. You know, there's all the yeah. there's all the jokes about Xana don't yeah <laughs> but i've never seen it honestly like that stuff's not really my flavor i mean it's not my flavor either but uh it's she so certainly, sweet she certainly was a presence in my life oh yeah i mean as a matter of fact you know like i did go up to phoenix for work last mm-hmm. weekend and as i was packing like greece was on tv yeah so it's just like greece is like always there i mean i feel like it was like a rainy day movie in my childhood yeah. like i've seen it one million times like slumber party movie and then like, constant also other question mm-hmm. have you continued your altman journey did you watch any more no oh, okay not yet all right well bye good night <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> i will be back on it but really this joanne woodward fucking yeah you got i mean i've been in. working a shit ton oh, i've been sure. working like yeah. i haven't had a day off in like two weeks um but and i leave town tomorrow i will get back on robert altman but like i don't know why this like i needed something to put on in the background and then I started this but then it ended up not even being a background thing and it's I don't know like sometimes it's easier for me to watch a documentary than it is to watch a film because like the documentary is like exactly what it is in front of me with watching like a Robert Altman movie when I know it's like I'm like ticking off like right. the next film. I'm gonna be researching on the side, so it's like work almost. I know. It's like I know that thing of when you make like the thing you love kind of like work. It becomes yeah. Something I mean, else. like TBH, like that is kind of how I have treated everything I watch. Not just yeah. because of the pod, but like yeah. just because that's my brain. You know, I do have to. Yeah. I do. I have been like 
putting my phone away when I watch things because I just don't want to be that person that is like, I'm going to look shit up about this. Well, I'm like screenshotting, fucking typing notes and occasionally pausing to look specific shit up. Yeah, well. Like, what's up with this? Otherwise, I'd be watching every movie like twice in a row. Yeah, I mean, my my brain is definitely, I'm not doing all the notes. I mean, I'll be writing a few notes, but like. Uh, my brain is just really working overtime when I watch stuff. I'm I'm yeah. really kind of like, oh man, that is a beautiful shot. You know what I mean? Like like really yeah. really sort of recognizing. I think I've trained myself to watch movies and television in a very specific way, which is not bad, but it still doesn't mean that I'm sitting there relaxing. No, it's like a labor of love. Yeah. But it is like yeah, but a you bit yeah you can't you can't laborious. you can't really put a Robert Altman movie movie on in the background. No, no. I mean, the way I watched Nashville, I did put it on my projector, and I didn't screenshot, though I ended up like taking some photos of the projection. Yeah, <laughs> but I was like, just watch the goddamn movie. I know, you know, I know, I know. It's always kind of like, calm down, Brenda. Just relax. <laughs> I am not chill. I either like the to unwind, I fucking put on an episode of Tiger Belly, that like Bobby Lee and Kalila's video podcast deal, or I fucking watch a documentary apparently about Yeah. Which it's just like every, all the research is already done, like fucking chill out. Like Yeah. Google later if you must, but like right. you could just like consume this like well researched, well invent, like you know, interrogated information and enjoy how people like gush over other people's creative process. Like it's fine. Right. Well. So I re- high key recommend that for any creative person. I think it's and like just interested in like that time period, which you know we'll eventually get to. But I had no idea that like these dudes weren't just like hunks. It was like they were like. I mean, boohoo, like, white dudes in the fucking 60s. But right. they were, like, you know, this very, like, tight-knit group were, like, highly competitive. And also, like, people were, like, what the fuck are you doing with your life? You're, like, pretending to be other people? That's fucking right. not manly. Right. Which is interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Well. And maybe do a... Uh, Maybe our audience should uh, watch both Scarfaces for like a real five hours worth of toxic masculinity. They should. No. You know what? <laughs> I. It was brutal. I, I watched I, them back to back. I mean, and I was like, Woof. yeah. I mean, I I implore our audience to watch anything that we've recommended. Yeah, and that is for La Million. That's the only one. That is a mild read. We have yeah, like all of. I think we've chosen all hits except for we got one goofy dud that I didn't even hate. But yeah, you didn't. Um, yeah, I mean, I still, I, I don't, I don't not recommend Le Million. Word. But there's a lot out there. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. hey, we made this list for you. Yeah. A list is nice, and I'm glad we got to a '30s gangster film. I, like I really felt strongly we had to like double back and I think this was a cool way to do it yeah for sure and then we'll like keep going well yeah. so here we are ending the fucking pre-code 
wild wild west era right. of filmmaking. Yeah. And we're gonna get all sweet. Oh man. For the second half of the thirties. All right. <laughs> See you then. You know I'm gonna be digging in and trying to find some grit. No, we'll find some shit. Yeah. Oh, and you're Paul at uh you don't want to go in there. Yeah, and you're Caroline and you're at womanhood. And we're uh release underscore pod and www.release.pictures. Yeah. See you later. Smell ya. Bye.